We're going to continue our study in Proverbs um, this morning. Uh, we are going to talk about a subject that Proverbs itself says is a matter of life or death. Like, that sounds pretty serious, but Proverbs says it. This is a matter of life or death, and that means we should probably you know, perk up and uh, make sure we're listening to what Proverbs has to say to us this morning. So to start, um, finish this sentence, all right? I want you to finish this sentence for me. Sticks and stones can uh, break my bones, but very well done. You guys did great. Yes, yeah, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And the fact is, is that's not true. That is not true, is it? It might be a cute little saying that we, we, you know, our parents told us when we were small, but it's just not true. So let me ask you a question. Um, I want you to take a second and just, if you would, think about one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to you or about you. What's one of the nicest things somebody has ever said to you or about you? Guessing you can think of something, right? You remember something. Flip side. What's one of the meanest things, the most hurtful things somebody has ever said to you or about you? And you can probably remember something there as well, right? Like, words stick with us. They impact us. Um, the saying just isn't true. Words can build up. Words can tear down. Um, I was thinking about this and I, way back in junior high. So this is years ago. I'm old, all right? So way back in junior high. It's kind of funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. Um, I had a lot of friends around me in seventh, early eighth grade, midway through eighth grade. A lot of these friends decided to go a certain path in life that I did not want to go in life. And they started making decisions I didn't want to make. I decided at that time that I, I, I want, I was Really, I was, when I was beginning to decide I wanted to follow Jesus, and so I was making choices to follow Jesus and do what was right. Um, and so uh, this group of friends that had been really close friends of mine decided to take it upon themselves to point out how silly and how stupid I was for wanting to do what was right and, and to follow Jesus and be good. And they, they did that in all sorts of ways. They criticized the way I dressed. They criti criticized the way I talked. Uh, they poked fun at things I did and all of that. And one of the most memorable ways they did it was, this was the 80s, all right, and so I would come walking down the hallway, and if I came into the presence of any of these particular friends, they they would sing this classic old song: "Be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, Johnny. Don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do?" Right? Well, that was me. And they would sing it as loud as they could. And then they would laugh at me, and they would tease me, and they would poke fun at me. And as a result, I came home from school many times in junior high, eighth grade, and ninth grade, crying from school because of the way they treated me and the way I was made fun of. Right? sticks with me. I mean, that was, that was like 40 years ago. And I still remember it. It hurts, right? It's kind of funny now looking back on it. But even as I've moved into adulthood, I've had people criticize me. I've had people lie about me. I have people reject me, dismiss me, say all sorts of things. And I'm guessing you probably have too, right? On the flip side, 1988, again, long time ago, I'm a sophomore in college. I'm kind of thinking I'm going to do this ministry thing, maybe be a preacher, but I'm this shy, insecure kid who was terrified of public speaking. 
Um, and I, I got asked by the student body to speak at Parents Weekend. They had this banquet when they invited all the parents to be with their, their students there at the college, Bible College. And I got asked to give a little devotion as part of this banquet. I get up, I give my little talk, I walk down from stage, I walk to the back of the room. One of my professors, a guy who I deeply admired and looked up to, walked up to me. And this is what he said, word for word, 35 years ago. This is what he said to me. He said, Real good job up there, buddy. Real good job. Why do I remember that 35 years later? Because it sticks with me. And in that moment, I thought, maybe, maybe I actually could do this thing of preaching the Bible and teaching the Bible. Right? And those words were life-giving to me. And Proverbs says that what we say, our words, are actually a matter of life or death. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Think how serious Proverbs is talking about what we say. It's not a small thing what you say. It's not an insignificant thing. Like, it's a matter of life or death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we know this, don't we? Like, Proverbs like this, the book of Proverbs, where they give these little short little sayings, they're just making general observations about life that are just generally true. That's how they work. And we know this is true, isn't it? We know death-dealing uh, death words, don't we? Words that are cutting are mean-spirited, are critical, right? Uh, words that run us down, words that uh, attack our personhood and our character, words that make us feel small, insignificant, or stupid, right? Uh, maybe it's not even the words themselves, it's the tone with which they're said. We know this, that words have this power. Um, we know that maybe even not in big ways, but small ways, words that are just dismissive, right? Words that are just kind of thoughtless and inconsiderate. We know how they can damage and they can wound and they can tear us down. We know that. We know that death is in the power of the tongue. We also know that life is, don't we? Words that are encouraging, complimentary, right? Uh, building us up. Words that are instructive, right? And wise and help us see the way we should go, right? There's power in those words. We know this. Death and life are in the power of tongue. And then he says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? Those who love it. What's the it? The it's the tongue. Those who love it. In other words, those who love to talk will eat its fruit. Those who love to talk will have to deal with the consequences of all those words, whether good or bad. There's power there. There's life-giving power or death-dealing power there. And if you love to talk, you're going to have to reap the consequences, enjoy the fruit of loving to talk, right? In other words, our words matter. They matter. Like, we need to learn to take our words just as seriously as we would take any weapon, gun or a knife. It has the same power, death-dealing power, life-giving power. Our words matter. And in view of the fact that it's Father's Day... I don't think we, we, we need to make sure we don't miss this moment to just pause and say to, to the dads in the room, behold your power. Like, 
the way you talk in your home to your spouse, about your spouse, right? The way you talk to your kids or about your kids. Dads, behold your power. Your words can either deal death or give life. And again, all of us sitting here probably had a dad that did one or the other. Maybe a mixture of both. But what stands out is one or the other, right? Like Some of you are here and you know, I know what it was like to have a dad who brought life to me. His words were wise. His words were encouraging. His words were comforting. His words made me, uh, built me up and made me believe I could be something I didn't know I could be, right? Some of you know that. On the other hand, some of you know what it's like to have a dad who just always criticized, always put you down, who made you feel insignificant or small. Some of you know that, right? Like, we just know this is true. And so, dads, behold your power. And remember that your words matter immensely to the future of your kids. Some of you, as adults, you might be 50, 60 years old, and you're still trying to work out the consequences of your father's words in your life when you were growing up. So I minimize that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so in view of that, because of the significance of our words, the book of Proverbs has a whole bunch of little proverbs about our words about our tongues, about our talking. It's got a lot of things to say about what we say because words are so significant and so important. And so let me just, let me just I'm going to say a few, a few categories of Proverbs and offer some of the wisdom from Proverbs about our talk. If we're going to give wise and life-giving words, then the first thing we will do, according to Proverbs, is we will use less talk. We'll recognize the power of words, and so we'll actually use our words less. Less talk. We'll speak less. Often, we'll speak less words. And man, that is just so important, right? Some of you in here maybe need to be encouraged to talk more. Speak up. you got things to say. But there are some of you that are like, you talk too much, right? Let's just be honest about that. And we live in a culture and in a society that actually glorifies almost over-talking. Um, interestingly enough, the cover article uh, for a Time magazine from earlier this year was all about this, um, titled Zip It. <laughs> and let me just read you an excerpt from this article. It says this, we live in a world that doesn't just encourage over-talking, but practically demands it, where success is measured by how much attention we can attract. Get a million Twitter followers, become an Instagram influencer, make a viral video, give a TED talk. We are inundated with YouTube, social media, chat apps, streaming services. We are tweeting for the sake of tweeting and talking for the sake of talking. And it's true. Um, our world encourages over-talking, but Proverbs says wise people will actually talk less and say less. And while we're on this, since I read this little quote, can I just say, um, like, I'm not one of the pastors here, all right? I, I just fill in occasionally. But can I just say, um, sometimes I am aghast at things Christians post on social media. 
And sometimes the way Christians attack other Christians and attack each other, it's like right there before the watching world, we're acting with the same foolishness as the rest of the world. How does that ever represent Jesus well? Right? We're talking for the sake of talking, and we're not doing Jesus any honor. Um, and so if we're going to be wise, one of the things Proverbs tells us is, let's use less talk. Let's use less talk. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 puts it like this. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. And that phrase, is not lacking, almost has a sense of, is inevitable. Is, is inevitable. The more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to sin with your mouth. The more you talk, there's a, it's almost inevitable that you will say something wrong, hurtful, mean-spirited. You will do something with your mouth that is damaging. Uh, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever may, uh, maintains or restrains his lips is prudent. Like, just zip it, right? Like, that's prudent. That's wise. That's actually smart. Um, or uh, Proverbs 21, 23 says it like this. Whoever keeps his mouth, like guards it, watches over it, keeps it. Uh, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Literally keeps his soul out of trouble. Soul representing your whole life. Every facet of you, like, if you just keep your tongue, you just watch that, guess what? You can avoid a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, a lot of trouble. And again, we know this is true. In fact, this Time article just talked about how it's typically, they were using the example in business. In the business world, it's the person who actually talks less, they said, who tends to get the prom more promotions. It's the person who talks less, who actually tends to win at the negotiation table. Um, we know this. We know that uh, talking more can actually lead to more problems, lead to more trouble. We know that we type up that email and we're like, hey, I should just delete that. Right? Like, let's just restrain our words. Let's pull them back. Let's dial them in. Why? Because we can keep ourselves out of a whole lot of trouble. Or Proverbs 13.3 uh, says, whoever guards his mouth preserves, doesn't just keep himself out of trouble, but preserves his life. Preserves his life. His life is going to work better, right? His life is just going to work better uh, if you guard your, your lips, guard your mouth. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The person just, whatever they think they say, words just flow out, right? They just speak. They're always talking, flapping their gums, and... Ruin follows in their path. They damage other people. They damage their families. They damage careers. They damage their neighbors. They damage their friends. Ruin just follows in their wake because they just open their mouth and say whatever they want to say. And so, if we're going to be wise and life-giving in our words, we're going to have to use less talk. In fact, Proverbs 17 says it in a funny sort of way. It says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Right? Like, just, just keep your mouth shut and people will think you're smart. Just keep your mouth shut and people might even think you're wise and intelligent. Right? Just don't say anything. And everyone at least, they, they, they can't evaluate you on what you just said. Like, okay, that person might be really smart. Right? Like, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Less talk 
is wiser talk. So use less words. Talk less often. If we're going to be wise and life-giving in what we say, then another category that Proverbs emphasizes is thoughtful talk. Thoughtful talk. I'll give you a couple of Proverbs that actually speak of the opposite of that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like thrusts of a sword. Their words are rash, and it's just like, and they're just prodding here and jabbing here and wounding there and poking there, right? Like, and their words just like little verbal barbs, and they just jab and wound and poke and hurt. Um, those, there's one whose words are rash, and they're like sharp sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. They don't wound. They help and they heal. Right? Rash words are like sword thrusts. Or Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is, notice this word, hasty. Who's hasty in his words. There's more hope for a fool than for him. And when you read Proverbs, there's not much hope for a fool. Right? And so if there's less hope for this guy than for a fool, there's not any hope at all. If you're hasty. If you just speak whatever comes to mind. Right? Type the first thing you want to say back. Post that thought. Right? Hasty. Um, what's the opposite of rash and hasty? The opposite is thoughtful. You consider what you're going to say. You, you process what you're going to say. You think it through. Right? Like thoughtful. You're careful. You're not hasty. You're not rash. You don't just, right? You, you think it through. What, what actually should I say in a situation, if anything at all? And so Proverbs 15 says this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The, the heart of the righteous ponders, considers, processes, thinks it through, right? The heart of the, they don't just rush into it. They take their time. They figure out the best way to respond, right? Do I even need to say this? How can I really be helpful? They ponder and think it through, but... The mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. Mouth of the wicked just gushes out things that are hurtful, harmful, damaging, evil, right? Like they just, they're just like a, a river that can't be controlled. Just gushes out all this stuff. But not so the righteous. The righteous take their time. They think. They process. They imagine. They wonder. And so less talk. Thoughtful talk. And the last category I want to mention from Proverbs is this, is helpful talk. If we're going to be wise and life-giving in how we use our mouth, then we're going to make sure that we provide helpful talk that actually is, is good for people, is beneficial for the situation, builds people up. Um, look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. It says this, gracious words, gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. In, in, in the ancient world where they didn't have all sorts of candy shops and candy makers, honey was like a rare treat, a special privilege. Like you find a honeycomb, then climb, scale the rock, cut down the honeycomb, bring it home to your family. We got dessert tonight, right? It's a special treat. And what he's saying is gracious words, pleasant, helpful uh, encouraging, kind-hearted, building upwards, gracious words 
are like that rare treat of a honeycomb. They are, they are special. They are prized. They're pleasant. They're, they're sweet to the soul and health to the body. They bring health to a person's life. They're that helpful of words. Or Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. What does it mean to commend knowledge? Well, that means to make knowledge attractive. To make knowledge good and inviting, right? To make knowledge palatable, right? Like the, the, the tongue of the wise actually makes instruction and knowledge helpful, right? It makes it so it's palatable and good. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to know that. I want to understand that. It's good for us. But the mouth of fools pours out folly, pours out foolishness, useless, unhelpful words. They just say all sorts of stuff that really doesn't matter. Or... Or Proverbs 10, chapter, or chapter 10, 20 and 21 says, The tongue of the righteous is like choice silver, like the finest, best silver. It's like riches and wealth. The tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. The heart of the wicked, meaning uh, his thoughts, his plans, the things he even thinks about, are of little worth. They're worthless. The lips of the righteous feed many. Like they nourish people's lives. They benefit people's lives. They nourish people. They feed many. But fools die for a lack of sense. So helpful talk. So our words, if we're going to use life-giving, um, wise words, then we should use less talk. We should be thoughtful in what we say. And we should be helpful in what we say, right? So we'll talk a little bit less. We'll think a little bit more. And we'll say things that are genuinely helpful. Now, let me ask you another question. Is any of this new information to you? I'm guessing most of this is a reminder, right? We've heard this before, true, right? Somebody told you you should actually think before you, you speak, right? Somebody told you, you know, you talk too much, maybe you should, you know, dial back a bit, right? Most of this is a reminder to us. We've, we know that words are powerful. We know that words can hurt. We know maybe we should think a little bit more before we talk, and yet... We still hurt people with our words. We still say things we regret. We still, you know, post things we're like, ah, oh, I better delete that. We still send that email, right? We still do things with our words that are damaging and unhelpful and harmful. Um, and that's the problem. We know a lot of this stuff, and we still don't live it out. Why? Because the problem with your tongue goes deeper than your tongue. The problem with uh, our words is not just our words. And so I want you to listen to a passage from Jesus, right? Like Jesus, who is like wisdom incarnate. That's the whole point of the word became flesh, is that the wisdom that's woven into the fabric of the universe became flesh in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is like wisdom in the flesh. And listen to what he says about our words. He says this, Proverbs, or Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That word abundance is like the overflow. Like out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. Like your heart just overflows with, and whatever's inside, that's what comes out. You're at a restaurant, and you ordered a hamburger, and you know they got the little condiment caddy on the table, and you grab the ketchup bottle, and you squeeze the ketchup bottle. What do you expect to come out of the ketchup bottle? Ketchup, why? Because what's inside 
is what comes out. If something other than ketchup came out, you'd be disappointed, and maybe it would ruin your burger if you didn't like what you put on there, right? Like, what's inside is what comes out, and that's the point Jesus is making. That out of the overflow, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And then Jesus goes on and says, the good person, out of his good treasure stored up in his heart, brings forth good things. Brings forth what is good. Remember, he's talking about the words. It's out of the good stored up in your heart that your mouth speaks. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil words, evil thoughts evil things. It has to do what's in your heart. The problem with the mouth is not just the mouth. The problem is what's in your heart. That your words, my words, they reveal our character. And it's your character that ultimately counts. And so if we're going to give wise, life-giving words, it's not just enough to guard our tongue. It's not just enough to, you know, uh, pay attention to what we say. I mean, that's, an, that's a good stopgap measure. We should do that. But if we ultimately want to bring forth good, wise, life-giving words, then we're going to have to have a good, wise, life-giving heart. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so we need, we need our heart to be changed, not just our words to be changed. And here's the good news. Heart change has been made available by Jesus. Jesus didn't just come and tell us we need a heart change. Jesus came and lived and died to give us heart change. He made heart change available to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, writing in the context of the death of Jesus and how the word about the death of Jesus is viewed by the world as foolishness and weakness, and yet it's really the wisdom and the power of God in that context. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this, And because of him, that is God, and because of God, you are in Christ, who became to us, notice this, who became for us the wisdom of God. That Jesus came and, and you're in him and he's in you and he has become for you the very wisdom of God dwelling within you. He became for us the wisdom of God. And not just wisdom, he became righteousness. That is, being in a right relationship with God, a right relationship with God's instructions. Like, he is our righteousness. Now we have that in our heart. We've got the righteousness of Christ in our heart stored up there. And he became sanctification for us. That is cleansing. Uh, and being cleaned and being made holy and purified. We're clean because of Jesus. Um, and redemption, he became our redemption, which means he's, he's setting us free from all the destructive, uh, damaging words that maybe our family of origin passed on to us or our life has given us. He's redeeming the broken parts of our life and bringing good things out of our life. He's our redemption. Like, Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our cleansing, and our redemption, which means heart change is now available. And as we store up what Jesus has in us, our heart has grown, our heart has changed. And now, the fact is this. Your heart, my heart, does not change automatically. It doesn't change all at once, and it doesn't change overnight, does it? When we first come into Christ, when we step into Christ, Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, redemption, right? And we have that initial heart change, but there's a good chance 
There's more heart change needed. True? We're going to have to unlearn and unravel some of the things that have been done to us and some of the things that have been stored up in our heart. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to change to become the kind of people he created us to be. But the fact is, is Jesus is the one who can do that for us. He's offering that to us. And so let me just offer a couple um, a couple spiritual practices, two spiritual practices, that if our heart is going to be changed by Jesus, these two practices will actually help make that possible. All right? So that, so that we can have the good things of Christ stored up in our heart, so that our mouth can speak life-giving wise words. So two spiritual practices that will help. First is this, silence and slowing. That's the first practice, silence and slowing. If we are going to have good things stored up in our heart, the righteousness of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus stored up in our heart, we can't just constantly be racing through life. We can't be filling in all the margins of our life so we have no space for Jesus to enter into our life and to show us what needs to change and to bring us good things in our life. If we're constantly running from here and here and here, and we're racing and we don't actually slow down, we won't change. We won't change. Because we need to create space for Jesus to enter in to help us see who we are, to help us see what needs to change. And so we need to slow down. And not only do we need to slow down, silence goes with that, right? And silence means two things. Yes, it means talking less. We need to be quiet and, and, and not speak. But we also need to detach from all the words of the world around us for a time so that we can sort out what's wise and what's good from the, the, the foolishness of the world. Right, which means we're going to have to get away from our phones and put that down and not scroll. We're going to have to maybe get out someplace in nature where it's quiet, where we can listen uh, just to the, the, the simple, gentle sounds of nature. We need silence because what that does is that brings a tranquil, calm peace to our heart and our soul. And it's out of that place that then Jesus can change us and we can begin to speak wise, life-giving words. So silence and slowing. The other spiritual practice I want to mention in this context is if Jesus is going to change your heart, then you have to be taught by Jesus. And that means you're going to have to read the Bible and memorize the Bible. Reading and memorizing scripture is a crucial spiritual practice for your heart being changed by Jesus. How can, how can Jesus change your heart when you don't listen to Jesus? How can Jesus change your heart when, you're, when you don't actually ever listen to his instructions? And so we're going to have to read the scriptures regularly, and we're going to have to even memorize them. And memorizing is so important. Why? Because when you, when you memorize something, you take in the structure of that thing into your person, and you begin to be formed around that. In fact, even just the, 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 the attempt, just the attempt to try to memorize scripture is good for us because it means we're presenting ourselves to God and saying, God, this is important to me because I know it's important to you, right? And so reading and memorizing scripture. And as we do that, as we slow down, Practice a little uh, silence, and as we listen to Jesus teach us from Scripture, as we do all that, we're storing up good things in our heart, and it's out of those good things that the mouth will speak. It's out of those good things that will begin to speak life-giving, healing, helpful, good words for people, because Jesus will be changing our heart. And as we do that, here's... The last proverb I want to share, this begins to become true of us. As Jesus changes our heart, Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. As Jesus begins to change our heart, 
and we are transformed and we're storing up good things in our heart, then our mouth just begins to overflow with life-giving, healing, good words. It happens in our homes. It happens in our neighborhoods. It happens with our extended families. It happens on the job. It happens with our friends that we just speak good, encouraging, gracious, life-giving words. Why? Because we've got the wisdom of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus stored up in our heart and we're transformed and we're changed. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And who are the righteous? Well, now that Christ has come, the righteous are those who are in Christ. The righteous are those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, it's because of God. And if you're in Christ, then you're part of the righteous. We who are in Christ are God's people, set apart for him, righteous because of the work of Jesus. Righteous because of what he did. We're the righteous. And as God's people, we are people who use words, not in death-dealing ways. We use our words in life-giving ways. That's who we are. As the people of God sitting here today, we are people whose mouths are a fountain of life. May it be so. Today, this week, every day, and increasingly, may it be so that we live out who we are, God's righteous people because of Jesus. And may our words be a fountain of life.